Welcome to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Senior Pastor Matt Homeyer. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, visit our website at trinitybaptist.org. Enjoy the podcast. back with you after a a week of vacation. Very thankful for Reverend Sarah Sintenig for preaching for us last week, a strong sermon. Uh, It is a a wonderful comfort to know that if I am sick or have to be gone, I really do trust and would look forward to any of our staff preaching in my absence. And that, that is a blessing not all pastors and not all churches enjoy. And it's something to be very thankful for, that's for sure. Let me pray for us as we uh, enter into this time. God, we do thank you for the breath in our lungs this morning, the breakfast nourishing us in these moments. We're thankful for the privilege of joining together with family and friends to have a brief respite in very busy lives, to listen for a word from you, to examine our own souls, the state of our own emotions, our lives, and Come to you all over again this week, committing our way to yours. God, we ask that you speak to us now as you are able, to each of us as we have need. In your name we pray, amen. We are continuing our series in Acts, which Sarah uh, preached for us last week, as we are Uh, Tracing the Spirit's Movement in Acts over these summers. We have this one and one more. So for those that have loved this series, it's almost over. I'm sorry. For those that are really tired of this, it's almost over. It'll be okay, depending on your persuasion. But we've been tracing the Spirit's Movement in Acts from Pentecost forward. Today we're going to be in Acts 16. Acts 16, 6 through 10 is where we're going to be today. I'm going to walk us through the text here in a minute. We're also going to be talking about geography a lot today. So if you have like your old school paper Bible with you, those of you who are analog and brought this with you, you might look in the back to the map of Paul's second missionary journey. If you want to flip back to that, we'll be, uh, I'll be walking us through. We'll be looking at that. It might help with a little bit. Others can just call up a map of Turkey on your phone if you want to and follow along with us there or just Google Paul's second missionary journey. There's plenty there. You have my permission to Google things. Brooks Holmeyer, you can Google that. Only that, though, nothing else during this sermon. You know, up to this point, as we've traced the Spirit's movement in Acts, the the movement, there have been difficulties, there's been some persecution and hardships, there's been disagreements, there's been some, some dangers that have been faced, but the overall movement of the Spirit in Acts has been one inexorably forward, out ahead of these early disciples, out ahead of these early believers, uh, beckoning them to follow, to to catch up to what the Spirit is already doing. And here in Acts 16, 6 through 10, we have a bit of a change. In today's text, the Spirit is still out in front of the disciples, in this case, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, But instead of opening new doors of expansion of the kingdom of God in new ways, the Holy Spirit is closing them, 
closing doors, forbidding Paul, Silas, and Timothy to go where they want to go. The Holy Spirit forbids Paul, Silas, and Timothy entry into whole regions of Asia Minor and what is now Turkey. These willing disciples, these commissioned missionaries sent out by the Holy Spirit and the elders and apostles in Jerusalem to encourage the churches, to start new churches, to evangelize Jews and Gentiles alike, are now being told by the Spirit the things they, they can't do, forbidden to do the same by the same Holy Spirit that sent them on mission. Today's sermon, if it has to be about something, and most sermons need to be, is on how to discern the will of God. This is a sermon we need to preach fairly regularly in one form or another, most specifically today, to discuss the importance of receiving a no from God. Have you received a no from God before? You had a plan, you had a vision, you had a dream, you had an idea, something you were excited about, and it just felt like in one way or the other, God closed that door. For many of us, hopefully most of us, following God, discerning God's will, is a regular matter of of prayer and thought and discussion. I used the phrase a few weeks ago uh, that, you know, if you want to hitch your wagon to this church, we'd be glad to have you. And my kids made fun of me mercilessly for that. Evidently, that's a metaphor that no longer plays with a young generation. What does it mean to hitch your wagon to something? And so, you know, but I will say again, if you have hitched your wagon to Jesus— If you have apprenticed yourself to Jesus, committed yourself to following Jesus closely in all areas of your lives, you go about each day in some form or fashion discerning the will of God. How how would God uh, react in this situation? What would Jesus want me to do living my life here in this situation? What is the will of God for me, the opportunities to serve the kingdom of God today? It's a regular matter for us. Then there's more specific moments or maybe seasons where we have big decisions to make, where where we're asking big questions or very specific questions that we need clear discernment on, where we're hoping for clear discernment. The stakes are high, and we need to know what God feels about this, what God wills for us in this. When they're younger, it feels like there's more of these. Who should I marry? And what do I do after high school? And do I take this job or that job? That one seems to follow us around a lot. What am I going to do with my life? Am I spending my life in the right way God wants me to, to in my life? That seems to be one that comes up every few years for a lot of us throughout our life. When do I retire? On and on and on the list goes of the big questions we bring to God where the stakes seem high and, and we need to know the will of God. We, we want to know the will of God. When we seek God's will, we want to be obedient to what Jesus wants from us. And we're generally in these situations, aren't we? We're looking for a positive answer. We, we want a yes We want a, you know, marry this person, not that. We want a, this is the right job for you. Or, you know, in in our past few years, Kelly and I sensed God leading us back to the pastorate. But you know what there are a lot of in the world? Baptist churches in Texas, you know? (laughs) To say you want to go back to the pastorate is a much bigger thing. What church, what, what city, what area, what type of church, what size of church, you know, what convinced, any number of things we wanted. We sought God's clarification, continual clarification on that. We needed some specifics. 
But you know, we don't talk enough in the journey of following Christ about the importance of no in our journey. It's very likely, if not probable, I had to think about this before I said it, but I think it's probable. We will receive many more no's from God than we will yes. And that's not because God is a God of no. That's not because God doesn't want us to have fun or God is a God only of prohibition. But just think about it. Think about when you got married, those of you who are married. You know, not that I had just any number of people knocking down my door to get married, but theoretically, theoretically, you had to say no to a literal world of possibilities to say yes to one. Think about your career. Think about where you live. Think about any number of choices you have made discerned in your life. There may have been a yes, there may have been guidance, but it also means there was a world of possibility for you out there that at some point had to be a no, implicitly or explicitly, for you to say yes to that which God had for you. We're full of no's. When I worked at Truett Seminary, a lot of my job was counseling young ministers. We'll talk about this in a little bit and where they should serve in their career, where they should move, what they should do in their life. And we would start by saying, hey, a lot of y'all were raised believing you can do anything you want to do. And that was a really big lie. You can't do anything you want to do. I could not be a doctor. You know, I was told in high school, you can do anything. No, I got into a biology class. I've studied a little bit and I realized, no, I can't do this. (laughs) I could not be an engineer. I don't do the math so well. I can't add half the time. There are other things I could do. To do what we're meant to do, to do what God has for us, means there's a lot of no's out there that God gives us, the world gives us, we realize for ourselves that help the path of discernment. Our text today is a big no. It falls immediately after our text from two weeks ago. If you remember, Paul and Barnabas had been partners in ministry. They had been traveling together on what we now call their first missionary journey. And they had started some churches and done some amazing things. And then after the Jerusalem Council, which we talked about a few weeks ago, Paul and Barnabas split ways over John Mark. And, but instead of dividing, instead of killing this missionary effort, it multiplied it. And what could have divided ended up multiplying. And they take two trips. And so Paul takes Silas. And from here, from kind of 15 on, Paul is the main human character in Acts. This becomes Paul's story. It's all still the Holy Spirit's story. And Paul grabs Silas, and he's his partner, and very quickly they grab Timothy. And so for a lot of this, it's Paul and Silas and Timothy together. And we see here in the beginning parts of of Acts 16, they go, uh, they're in Antioch, and they kind of go up and around into southern Turkey where they had been before in, in Derb and Lystra, seeing some old friends, telling them about the Jerusalem council and what had been decided. 
and they're ready to travel. Again, this is where you can look at your map in the back of your Bible for Paul's second missionary journey. And you can see they're ready to go north and east into the region of Galatia. Derb, so this is all in modern day Turkey. Derb and Lystra are on the southern part of this region. It's like a state of Galatia, sort of like a state. And they're ready to go up into that area. They already know it. There's a lot of towns. They're going to go up into that area. And we're told very simply, there's a lot that happens in these four verses. This probably covered weeks, if not months, of their life, told in four short verses. That the Spirit of Jesus, which is used synonymously with the Holy Spirit from time to time, forbade them to go into Galatia. Okay, we're not told anything about it, but the Holy Spirit forbade it. We're not told what it felt like, how that came to them. Was it a vision? Was it not? It seemed like visions are generally told about, so it might have been something else. So next, all right, if you're Paul, okay, we can't go back. We can't go south, can't go east. We've been there. God has sent us out. We can't go north and east into Galatia. Let's go west. The ground is fertile west. Phrygia is west. Once you got past Phrygia to the edge, you, you hit the Aegean, and you've got the ever-important uh, capital of Ephesus, this really important town. Let's get to Ephesus. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing. And yet, the Holy Spirit shuts that door as well. I mean, if you look on a map, there's a lot of great towns going west. Colossae and, and all of these great places where Paul will eventually work. It's a lot of places there. It's all shut down, told Paul not to go into Phrygia. They weren't told to go back. They couldn't go north and east. Now they can't go west. The south is just the Mediterranean. So the only option is to go north, northwest, to really go north and then hit the sea and go straight West. Although this story is told, or they go on, this is just east of the Anatolian Plateau. It's rural. It's not as populated. It's not strategic. It didn't make a lot of sense. It was a difficult journey. It's not a straight line to anywhere. And all this story is told, although the story is told in four verses, the journey was several hundred miles. It would have taken weeks if they did it straight without resting much. Luke gives us no hint that God gives them another word on this journey, that God gives them any more direction other than closing doors all around them that somewhat out of the path of least resistance, we might say, forces them to go one direction. The only comfort being evidently that God didn't shut the door to traveling that direction. They traveled north. They cut just west. They traveled north. They cut just southwest, just south of the Marmara Sea, south of modern-day Istanbul. They finally come to Troas, not because it was necessarily their destination. It's just the westernmost point in Asia that they could reach. It was just the last thing. There's nothing else to go to once you hit, when for them, when they would have hit Troas. Finally, finally, this vision appeared to Paul while in Troas of a man in Macedonia just across the Aegean, standing in front of Paul, Macedonia's modern-day Greece, standing in front of Paul, urging him to come over to Macedonia and help us. 
And in this really important phrase, reminiscent of Mark's language, they said, and immediately, kaiuthus is used there, and immediately Paul and his companions begin to make preparation to sail across the Aegean, which is a small trip in some ways compared to what they've done, but it's a massive leap for the gospel. They're going into another continent, a continent, another culture, another huge expansion of the gospel. They sailed across the Aegean. They end up in Philippi, share the gospel for the first time in Europe in a whole new continent. I've said multiple times that the Holy Spirit is the protagonist of Acts. If you're looking for a hero of Acts, we don't really read scripture looking for the the hero necessarily. That may not be the best way to read it. We have Jesus. But the protagonist drives the story. The Holy Spirit drives the story here. We have Peter in the first half. We have Paul in the the last half and a lot of other people in between that are the kind of human centrist figures of this. But it's the Holy Spirit that drives the story, that is the protagonist. And nothing shows that as well or as much as anywhere else, as this passage. The Holy Spirit is determined to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. I mean, to get this message of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, as far as possible, as quickly as was possible. We've seen it go to Africa through an Ethiopian eunuch. A Roman centurion has been converted, but he's still back there uh, in Asia. The Gentiles are welcomed into into the fold, this whole new uh, groups of people coming in. And here we see the gospel leap out of the Middle East and Asia and into Europe. That short trip across the Aegean, but a massive leap for the gospel. It's a good lesson for us, friends, that the Holy Spirit controls the story. It's been the message of every one of these sermons the last couple months, one way or the other, that the Holy Spirit drives the story. Our job is to watch and to listen for the movement of God, for the movement of spirit in the world. And when we sense the Holy Spirit moving, to do our best to, to catch up and join it there. But the Holy Spirit will do what the Holy Spirit desires to do. The question I found myself asking as I read and reread and reread this passage over the last couple weeks is how did Paul know that the Holy Spirit forbade him from entering Galatia and Phrygia? I mean, this is the question, right, for us. How do we know what God's will is. You know, we might say this another way. How do we know that we know that we know? You know, how do we get that level of certainty, of surety, of confidence that the path we have chosen to go or the path we're discerning is, is the will of God positively or in this case, a no that keeps us from moving? How do we know when God opens some doors and closes others? How do we discern the will of God? Luke gives us absolutely no hints, (laughs) in this passage anyway, no hints whatsoever, but we can gather a few things from other sources. First, let me say this, occasionally, this is the anomaly and not the norm. It's going to come from God if God gives it. It can't be, I don't think, sort of cajoled out of God. The will of God comes directly, powerfully, clearly all at once. It comes in a vision. 
It comes in a dream sent from God. It comes in the word from a wise friend or pastor or teacher or mentor. It comes straight from the word of scripture to you. And you know, in a moment, the spirit of God has spoken, has moved, and this is the will of God. That, that does happen. It does happen. But it is maybe not the most common way. Most of the time, God's will, at least in my experience, I think historically this works out, has to be worked out through the difficult work of discernment. It's often a process of hearing the word of God instead of a one-time moment where it all comes clear and easy for us. And it begins here. We're going to give about four things. And this sounds simplistic. I'm going to say it, and a couple of you are going to roll your eyes. You're like, of course the pastor's going to say this, right? It begins with scripture and prayer. Because of course it does. It's the answer you expect the pastor to give because it's the right answer. Sometimes the guidance you're looking for will come through reading scripture. It will pop out to you. Sometimes it will come in prayer as you are praying by yourself or with others. The answer to what you are seeking, the question you're seeking, the discernment you need will come directly. But if it doesn't, the, the practice, the discipline of immersing our life in Scripture and spending plenty of time in prayer, both speaking to God and as importantly, if not more, listening to God, it, it creates the conditions of the soul through which discernment comes. Right? It's really dry right now. Has anyone noticed that? It's a little bit warm this summer. It's a little bit dry. Has anyone talked about that on the news? Um, you know, I grew up in a farming community to some degree. And I know enough to know, if you don't plow the ground right now as you're able, even as it's dry, and it does rain, it's going to erode the field, and most of that is going to run off. You're going to get some benefit from it, but not what you could have. If you do plow the ground, even when it's dry, more of that rain, when it comes, is going to soak in. It's going to get more of what is intended. You're going to get the most out of what is given. That's what prayer and scripture does for our life. It tills the soil of our soul. So then when God, when God does work, when God does speak, when God does pour himself out to us, we are conditioned to receive what God has to give. When wisdom does come from a brother or from a sister in the church, we're conditioned through prayer and scripture to hear what they have to say. We're conditioned. Prayer and scripture is a discipline that, that marinates our life in the word of God and prayer and prepares us to hear the will of God for our life. If your life is not, my word is marinated in scripture and prayer, y'all, the rest of this sermon just isn't going to work. It's the necessary condition for discerning the will of God together with you. Begin with scripture and prayer. Second, pay attention to your internal thoughts and feelings. Some of you are thinkers. I'll say this before, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Some of you are thinkers and you need to get in touch with your feelings. Some of you are feelers and you need to turn the, the volume down on the feelings and think a little bit sometimes, right? We all have some strengths and weaknesses and we need to work on our others at times. 
God gave us our minds, which is the seat of our thoughts and feelings. And God will often use our, our thoughts and feelings to communicate his will for our lives. My favorite Greek word, I only know like 12 Greek words. I'm not like some pastors that can read it fluently. I can go and work my way through it when I need to. But, but it's, my favorite of them is splanknon. It's just fun to say, first off. Splanknon is just fun to say, but it refers to your guts. That's kind of the literal translation is, is guts. And as opposed to us, when we say guts, we think digestive tract. The Greeks and the Hebrews, in different but similar ways, when they said guts, they were referring to the seat of passion, the, the seat of love, the seat of emotions, the essence of yourself. Your splanknon was the essence of yourself. God speaks to us through these gifts he has given us of common sense, of thoughts, of feelings, of the heart, the heart we might call it, the mind, the splanknon, the, the essence of ourselves. We talk about in our culture, your, your gut feeling. It's, it's more to it than that. But our guts, when marinated in scripture and in prayer, can be remarkably wise. I talked about my work at Truett Seminary, working with young ministers, discerning their call, working with existing pastors and churches, helping them advising through difficult decisions they might make. And I learned very quickly to give very little advice because I really didn't know the answer for them and was hesitant to give my advice for someone else's life. But if you ask the right questions, you get people talking, you listen intently. It was amazing how many people knew the answer to their question. They just needed time and space to think it out and talk it out. We often have the answers to our pressing questions of life inside of us, in our guts, in our minds, in ourselves. God has given it. We need time and space sometimes to talk it out, think it out, write it out, whatever it is. The will of God is often given to us if we have ears to hear and eyes to see. Third, look to the wise in the community of faith. I mean, look around here, y'all. Think about other people in the church who may be on vacation or down at TriPoint. Who exudes godly wisdom to you? I mean, whose life seems built on a pattern of wise decision-making that has honored God in their life? I'm not talking about the most successful person in the room, although that may be the person, or the least, it may be that person, but someone whose decisions have been made, or a couple whose decisions seem to have made on godly, wise decisions over time. Trust them with your questions of discernment. Ask them out to coffee, go to lunch, drop, you know, see if you can drop by their house. When you have questions of discernment, when you have pressing matters of faith or decisions in your life, and lay the case before them and trust them to pray for you. Trust them to, to perhaps ask some questions that might help you come to an answer. Trust them that they may have a word from God for you. This is why we don't do faith alone, part of the reason why we do it together. For there is wisdom in the body. God gifts wisdom to the body to help us move forward as a church, as individuals together. So we marinate our lives in scripture, in prayer. We, we 
pay attention to our internal thoughts and feelings, uh, the guts that God has given us. We listen to the wise. We ask the wise in our community of faith. And finally, this may be the most kind of enigmatic. We just look for opportunities. It's funny how God puts a thought into our mind. God puts a passion into our heart. Someone speaks a word, and all of a sudden, there's an opportunity there that follows very quickly. It's like that, I can't remember the name of it, but when you're shopping for a green car, and all of a sudden you see green cars everywhere, you know, it's funny how that happens. Sometimes God puts a, an opportunity in our mind, a call on our life. Someone maybe speaks into that and recognizes the giftedness we have. And then all of a sudden, all we see is opportunities to do that, to fulfill that. That is the will of God for you. Other times, we have an idea, maybe a good idea. We have something that's on our mind. And, and all we face is closed doors and obstacles. Either everyone around us is missing the will of God, and we're right, or more likely, this is a vision, of, a dream of ours that has not yet had its time. We, we pay attention to opportunities. What the Spirit births, the Spirit will carry through. What the Spirit births, what it speaks to us, opportunities will be provided in time. It may have to wait sometimes, but they will come. And at other times, the Spirit closes doors, and it's either a no or, or more likely, a just not yet. One final thing I'll say on following the will of God. It's the hardest of all, probably. Sometimes we, we do everything right from our angle of vision. Pray, we read scripture, we marinate our life in the word of God. We do all the things. We, we try to discern our feelings and thoughts. We advise with wise people around us. You know, we, we look to the wise and we look for opportunities and we just don't hear anything. So many times we would, a no would be great just to hear something. The path's still not clear. We receive no clear direction Y'all, we've talked about we can't control the Holy Spirit. Jesus doesn't move according to our timeline. Often, often we are forced to wait. My encouragement to those who feel like you're in this stage of waiting is in the meantime, just get busy serving Jesus somehow. You know, get busy serving Jesus this, the way you know best to do it now. Maybe there's some decisions of discernment are left pending. Maybe you don't have clarity on some other things going on right now. There are still ways to live your life faithfully as you wait. Get busy doing those things. Serve your church. Serve your community in the name of Jesus. Go and serve your neighbor. Continue practicing the steps of the, the discernment, but be patient. And in the meantime, fill your hands with good things of God. In conclusion, say this. Paul was a planner. We have ample evidence in his letters 
that, that Paul had ideas and dreams and plans and strategies for what he wanted to do. We see at various points, he wanted to take the gospel to Rome. He wanted to take the gospel to Spain, to as far as he could get it west. He wanted to revisit the church that he helped start and encourage them. I and mean, he was a visionary. He was a, a thinker, strategic thinker, and a careful planner, a dreamer. But ultimately... He submitted all of his thoughts and plans and dreams and visions to God and was willing to be submissive to the Holy Spirit's plans for his life. I mean, can you imagine the frustration of Paul, Paul the doer, Paul the traveler, Paul the missionary, as he had to go to this rural, out-of-the-way place for weeks through the middle of Turkey, right and left, places he could go where there's plenty of people, but submitting his will for weeks to go the direction God had left open for them. He was willing to put his plans on hold or cancel them all together, willing to make that difficult journey of hundreds of miles for weeks in the opposite direction he wanted to go because he discerned God closed the door. We might call Paul a submissive, submissive visionary. Visionary, yes, but one willing to follow wherever God led. One who had the boldness to make plans and dream dreams and carry them out and also the humility to shuck them at a moment's notice when the Holy Spirit spoke. Friends, this is the role of God's people. This is the role of us as a church. Submissive visionaries, visionaries, let's make plans. Let's dream dreams. We've got a town hall meeting coming up at the end of the month where we'll discuss the budget and the mission and all that we hope and pray and feel God is leading us to. We need to make plans. We need to dream big dreams for God in Bear County and beyond. This is the role of God's people. But we will also seek God's face to know his will. And when he speaks, and he will, and he does, we will be eager to submit to that will. Let me pray for us. God, discerning your path for our life, your will for our life is tricky and subjective. We have an objective truth. We have a person, a savior to follow. And yet so many of the decisions of our day-to-day -day life, our year-to-year -year seasonal life can be tricky. We choose not only between good and evil, but between goods, which may be the most difficult choices we make. We utterly trust on the continuing work of your spirit to speak to us, to guide us for our dreams not to just be our dreams, God, but to receive visions from you, to have you infuse our prayer and our reading of scripture, to fill our meetings and our plans so that they are yours, God. Help each of us to trust one another, to trust the thoughts and the feelings you've implanted in us soaked in scripture to discern how you are moving in and through us together. In your name, amen. 
hope you enjoyed your segment of the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with senior pastor Matt Homeyer. Join us next week for another segment. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, visit our website at trinitybaptist.org.